Amen, amen. So again, open your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 43. We're starting a new series called, called Something New. And here's what's really neat. Being a part of a covenant community, being a part of a local church, something that I've found as I've pastored the, fa- the past few years is that a lot of us experience the same things around the same time. And so even like last year, for instance, a lot of us went through a season of suffering. And to be honest, a lot of us are still kind of going through that suffering. Not that suffering is just something you deal with real quick and move forward. Uh, But a lot of us kind of went through that. And and our prayer, what's been really great to see this past year, a lot of us as a community, we've been kind of going through this awakening of the spiritual disciplines, right? Really honestly seeing the reading of God's word and prayer and fasting and Sabbath and all these things are almost like new to us. And that's something that's been really good uh, for us as a covenant community. And so um, really felt led about six weeks ago. I I decided to go and um, and really seek the Lord and ask God, okay, what do you have for us as a collective whole, as a body of Christ? What is the next kind of season you're bringing us into? Not that we're done with the seasons before, but what else do you have for us next? And so I have this spiritual director. I think it's really cool. There's this really, I hope he's not listening, this really old man. And, uh, and he's just this gracious soul. And I meet with him and he just spits out the word of God like it's nothing. And it's so fun to talk to him. And he's actually from a different denomination. And so it's just really fun to hear like his perspective on everything. Anyways, he, he, his, his job um, is to kind of challenge me and really bring me closer to God. That's, that's literally his job. And, uh, and so a few weeks ago, I guess a couple months ago, he said, Trey, I want you to, because I've been talking about how I'm, I'm so excited that I've been riding my bike and I've been praying to God. And he said, that's great, that's great. He said, spend one day per week on that bike ride where you are listening to God rather than you talking to God. I said, well, I can't ride my bike and read my Bible at the same time. I don't know what you're talking about. He said, no, 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 not reading the Bible. I know that's one way to hear from God, but I'm asking you to ride your bike and wait till God gives you a word. Well, that is not how I roll, y'all, because like I am like so distracted. Have you figured that out yet? You know, I'm always like, I got to have 100 million things going at once. So I remember, honestly, the first week I did it and all I kept thinking about was everything but God. You know, I was just thinking about my bike and I was thinking about, and I was like, okay, I got to get my mind. I got to, and the whole point was like to not think. I don't know how to do that. Anyways, a few weeks in, I finally, it was about 20 minutes into my bike ride. I was about to give up. I was like, you know what, God, I just want to talk to you because you're not talking to me. And that's okay, though. I just really want to talk to you. I just want to be with you. And then finally, I was like, nope, I'm going to stop talking. And, and I heard this phrase, and I'm, I'm skeptical. People are like, I heard it like a voice from heaven. I don't know. Maybe it was even my own mind, but I really do believe God led me to this verse. And it was, behold, I'm about to do something new. And that's all I heard. And so I was riding my bike thinking, okay, and I got so excited thinking about what does that mean? What does this something new really mean? And I would love to tell you as a pastor, I knew exactly where that verse was in the Bible. I had no idea, but I am at least a pastor enough to know it's in the Bible somewhere. So I Googled it like the rest of y'all would. I'm about to do something new. Is that in the Bible? Search, you know? And then I found it in Isaiah 43, uh, verse 19. And I really believe God is calling us just as a covenant community together that this verse is kind of going to define our next season of what it will be for us. 43 verse 19 says this. He says, look, I'm about to do something new. I love this language. Even now it is coming. Man, I can already start preaching because guys, what's so fun is I really believe God is about to do something new. But what is fun for us is even now I'm seeing in just each of our individual lives how God is molding us and getting us ready for something. He says, do you not see it? Indeed, I will make a way in the wilderness, rivers in the desert. 
And so for the next like five weeks or so, we're going to kind of be around this verse and really hopefully for the next year, constantly talking about it. But here's the big idea for us as a church in this next season. This is the first point, and I so badly want you to know it. I didn't even put a fill in the blank because I just want to make sure you don't even spell it wrong. This is it right here. Ready? God will do something new in and through you. That's the prayer for our church. Now, here's the reality. God can do whatever he wants. So if it's up to God, he decides not to do something new. Well, that's up to him. But what we're saying, God, may you do something new in and through each and every one of us. And that is the prayer that is the focus for the next year or however long God would have it. And at its, at its core, here's what it means. At its core, what we're asking God to do is that every person in every stage of the Christian life would ex- experience what we call renewal. What is renewal? This just, like, have you ever been that, like, veteran Christians in the room, right, where you're just in the Bible, and at first it was incredible, but now you read it, and you're like, it's just something to get through? We're asking that God would do something new, and that you read it, and you can't wait, and you want to linger at the words, you want to be in prayer. For some of you, it's like putting these practices into place, you're finally starting it. Others of you, it's finally actually saying, you know what, I need to follow you, Jesus, wholeheartedly. Whatever it is, we're asking God, God, may you do something new. And our, my prayer, our prayer is that they would do something new in and through you. Now, here's what we have to be careful about. Since the beginning of time, we've always been obsessed with something new. Genesis chapter 3, it's one of the hardest chapters in all the Bible because Adam and Eve, they decided, I have everything I need, right? Garden of Eden, everything was perfect, but they decided, no, I want something new. And they believed the lie of the enemy of the serpent, and they decided, I need something different. I need something new. And so they ate from the fruit of the tree, which, by the way, we don't know if it was an apple. So quit calling it an apple. Okay, it was just a fruit from the tree. Probably pomegranate because those things are nasty. Amen? Okay, and so, so Adam and Eve decide I'm going to do something new. So we have to be careful here. Like I'm thinking the whole theme this year, something new, but that might be bad. Okay. So we have to figure out what is that something new that God is actually calling us to? Because something new is a God-given desire, but we're actually going to look the next series after this. I'm already excited for that one. I'm excited for this one. The next series is called The Right Fight. I just decided now, Caleb. Okay, It's called Fighting the Right Fight. Because here's the reality. We want something new, but we have an enemy. We have the world, the flesh, and the devil that wants to warp those desires, and you pick something new that's not actually good for you. Okay? This is what we have to understand in spiritual warfare. It's going to be so fun. But look, okay, in many ways... Our secular society we have today is coming to terms with the reality that the society has been promising all these things, something new in their life, and we're finally starting to realize they are not delivering on all their promises. I think one reason we have depression at an all-time high is because we are no longer believing the lie that what they have is the something new that you need. And a lot of people, and I love it in the weirdest way possible, I love that we're not content with what we're doing because God is calling us to something deeper. God is calling us to something new. Isn't it interesting? There is a growth of loneliness more than ever before in the midst of hyper-connectivity. I can literally chat with somebody in Malaysia right now on Facebook and Instagram. I am more connected than ever, but we can all agree. But for some reason, we still feel more lonely than ever. I believe it's because we've taken God out of the picture. Not only that, what do we have here? We have a crisis of meaning and purpose. Our society says you can have as much freedom as you want, but the problem is when you put all emphasis on freedom, you have to get rid of purpose because purpose requires boundaries. Purpose requires limits. 
But we would rather pick freedom over purpose, but yet now we are crying because we don't have a purpose in our life. There's a reason for that. We're chasing something new, but that something new isn't good for you. Rising inequality despite our best efforts, right? There is still a huge gap between the rich and the poor, even though we try not to have it. There is still racism in 2019. We still experience racism. How come? Makes no sense because the way I believe we're, we're, what we're chasing after isn't the right answer. And here's the worst one of all, guys. This whole promise of something new, our society, they're liars. They're claiming that the Popeye's chicken sandwich is better than Chick-fil-A. <laughs> guys, we know we are in a world of sin, amen? And if only we can support them today, but we can't because they're all at church, okay? Those who are working at Chick-fil-A. God, the enemy, man, is alive and at work, but we won't trust them, Right? I won't even go buy a Popeye's chicken sandwich. I'm that loyal. Okay. Now, in a sense, though, and I want us to see this, it is God's grace that a lot of things right now aren't working. It doesn't feel like that. But here's the thing. If God allowed us to solve problems with the wrong solutions, it would eventually lead to just more problems. And if we don't have God at the forefront of what we're doing, praise God, nothing's working. Because eventually we're going to get to like, we need something new and we've tried everything with man. What if there's this thing called God? And that's when we're like, we've been here a while, brother. Come on in. We got popcorn, right? Like that is our mentality and that is our prayer. Here's the next point. Here's, the, here's why we have this. I believe we've, we've pursued the wrong solution to something new. We have swapped as a culture. We have swapped the pursuit of supernatural presence with supernatural progress. This is our problem today. We think the answer to something new is that we just get better. We increase in technology, we get better at medication, and we need to make sure everyone is educated, and then and only then racism will be gone. How is that working? It's not. How come? Because man, the only way we can have this true flourishing, this something new, is actually by the supernatural presence of God. Everything else will fall short, no matter how much we progressed. Here's the thing. We have bought the lie that something new lies within you. That is a lie. You're not that great. Amen? Okay. Something new lies within you. That's a lie. Even though it rhymes, and I want, it, I want to believe it, but it's a lie. Okay? Here's uh, Sam Alberry. He's a pastor in the UK. He tweeted this the other day. I thought it was pretty helpful. He said, the 80s. I wish he started at the 60s. I'm into the 60s right now. Uh, don't judge me. I went and saw Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and I'm like, okay, I like the vibe. You know what I'm saying? I like it. Dad, you, yeah, this is not. Anyways, um, but he said the 80s. 80s, this was their mantra, serve yourself. The 90s, find yourself. The thousands, accept yourself. And just keep playing in sync, right? Okay, but the 10s is express yourself. Notice how we've always tried to chase the answer as something is lying within you. So you have to serve yourself. No, serve it better. You have to find, you just have to find, I just have to find me. I'm right here. Where did I go? You know, I have to accept me. I have to express me. And to some degree, of course, there is some legitimacy to this. God created you uniquely and there's something that God has called you to, but that is not the answer. That is just the answer of thinking supernatural progress is the answer, but it's not. So as a church, we need to take the first step and say, okay, God, we need you to do something new in and through us. And it's not us. The answer doesn't lie within us. The answer doesn't lie within anyone else except God and God alone. And that's what we're going to see here in Isaiah chapter 
43. Because here's the main idea I want us to see. Like we miss, like I want our church to experience renewal. Some old school people call it revival, right? Or this movement of God. But here's what I believe. I'm more and more convinced of this. When we make our priority about progress rather than his presence, it will always fall short. God can't move in us if it's all about us. He doesn't want to do something crazy. It has to be all about him. That's the problem we have here in Isaiah chapter 43. If you have your Bibles there already. Here's something cool. This is a fun fact about Isaiah. Chapters 1 through 39 is a lot about God's judgment. Isaiah, poor guy, he had to keep writing the judgment that's going to be on God's people. And it's 39 chapters. You know what's something that's pretty neat? How many books are in the Old Testament? 39. I kind of gave you the answer already. Come on. All right, 39. So we kind of see that cool little um, thing there. And then 40 through 66 is all about God's redemption. God's saying, despite all the judgment you, re- you earned and received and I should pour out on you, I have the suffering servant who's going to take all of this in your place. That's 40 through 66. That equals 27 chapters. Now, how many ch- books are in the New Testament? 30. No, I'm just kidding. It's 27. Uh, <laughs> got you, Brianna. Okay. Thank you for answering. Why do, this is why you don't answer. I punish you for talking out loud. Okay. So Isaiah, that meant nothing. Like, anyways, this is the book of Isaiah. It's really cool. So we're in Isaiah 43. So this is all about redemption, baby. This is all about what only Jesus can bring. And it's really good. Now, Isaiah is painting a picture here, even in chapter 42 at the end, God is frustrated. He's, he wants to give redemption, but he's also frustrated. Why? You see 18 through 20. He's saying, look, I want to do something new, but you are too blind to see it. I want to do something new, but you are too deaf to hear it. Even if I do it right now, you won't even be able to see it because you're blind. You can't hear it because you are deaf. So then he's kind of frustrated, but he's okay. Now he talks about the grace he's going to pour out on us, starting in verse 1 of chapter 43. Now this is what the Lord says. The one who created you, Jacob, the one who forms you, Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name, and you are mine. A quick uh, thing to know, this is written to Israel, but we as the people of God in the New Testament can take this as a promise for us as well, because we believe we are grafted into this family. Amen. Uh, Romans chapter 9 talks about that. We are adopted into this family that we see here in the Old Testament. Verse 2, I will be with you when you pass through the waters. I just remembered this. My dad, when he, he used to be a professional water skier, um, he's so lucky, like there were a lot of like iPhone, well, there weren't any, you know what I'm saying? He was in the Once Upon a Time in Hollywood era. Sorry, Alan. But, um, but so like during that era, there weren't a lot of video cameras. So I don't know if he was a professional water skier. I have no video proof. But anyways, he would have on his ski, Isaiah 43 too, when I passed through the waters, you were with me. You know? Yeah, he, oh, whatever. Okay. Now, and when you pass through the rivers, you fishermen have that one on there. They will not overwhelm you. And this is for people in Arizona. You will not be scorched when you walk through the fire. Amen. And the flame will not burn you. But make sure you open your, the, 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 seat of, I mean, the door of your car. Like This isn't a promise to be stupid and be like, well, God's going to protect. No, you will die. Okay. Verse 3, for I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, and your Savior. I have given Egypt as a ransom for you. This is referencing Exodus. Cush and Seba in your place because you are precious in my sight and honored and I love you. I love that. God says, I love you. I will give people in exchange for you and nations instead of your life. Do not fear for I'm with you. 
I will bring your descendants from the east and gather from the west. I will say to the north, give them up, and to the south, do not hold them back. Bring my sons from far away and my daughters from the ends of the earth. He's talking to Israel who is exiled, who is pushed all around the world, and eventually talking about us. We're all around the globe, but we are being brought back to his presence. Everyone who bears my name and is created for my glory. I have formed them. Indeed, I have made them. I love that. Such a great bunch of verses. It's like, yeah, God loves me. What up? And um, just even, I'm doing too many of these, but we were at the pool the other day and I told, I was trying to get wife points. Is that husband points? That's not. Anyways, I was trying to get points so my wife loved me more. Anyway, so uh, I went to Faith while we were swimming. I said, hey, Faith, ask mommy who I love the most. And so Faith was like thinking about it. And I actually asked her like, hey, hey, Faith, who do you think I love the most? And so I, she said, Faithy? I said, no, mommy. You know, I love my wifey. Um, we believe that, you know. And then Jordan whispers in Faith's ear. And then Faith goes to me and says, dad, you should love God the most. Said, All right. Okay. <laughs> so I was trying to get wife points, but instead she just, boom, convicted me. Okay. So Anyways, verses 1 through 7, so many good things. I'll be with you when you pass through the waters on your ski, even though that's probably not the right way to contextually apply this passage at all. When you walk through the fire, I will be with you. There are two ways to read these seven verses. And this, in my mind, is what differentiates a true gospel church and a little bit off false church, in my opinion. Number one, this is what you probably have heard before. God is here for my progress. When you read this, you think, <laughs> there's a river in front of me, and God, you're going to be with me. I'm going to get through that river. We're saying eventually December will come. We'll get through this fire, right? Because it ain't getting cold anytime soon, amen? God, you'll be there for me. When we read these verses, we put it on our coffee cups. We get so excited. God, you're here for me. You love me. In a sense, that's not wrong, but you kind of missed it. That's one way to read your Bible. God, you love me. You're here to make sure I get across that river. You're here to make sure I don't get burnt through that fire. Amen. Praise God. The second way to read your Bible is to realize that we are here for God's presence. So instead of me reading it, say, okay, God's here for me and making progress. No, no, no. That happens. But imagine if you read your Bible realizing, no, God is saying, I love you and I'm with you. The emphasis here wasn't that... (laughs) Okay, we read verse 2 and think, when you pass through the waters, okay, that's great. But the emphasis is right before that, I will be with you when you pass through the waters. Like We just want to say, but we're passing through the waters. The point is he will be with us. See, we have an option. When we read scripture, when we think about the things of God, we either make it that God is here for my progress or I am here for God's presence. And renewal, revival comes to a church when they finally get to the end of themselves and think, God, we are here for you, not the other way around. That is when God moves. This subtle shift has tremendous consequences. What we have here, Isaiah is referencing God's deliverance in the Exodus. You guys ever seen that movie? What's the Prince of Egypt? Anybody seen? Uh, it's so sad. I don't think, have you read your Bible? I think, Prince of Egypt, anybody? But anyways, when Moses brings them through the Exodus, right? And he's referencing that. That's what he's saying. When you pass through the waters, you remember? When boom, and, and you're like walking around seeing the whale, and like, you can't touch me. You know what I'm saying? So, but you've ever asked, how come, think about this. How come God made those same people who just walked through right? Walk through this, this sea, the Red Sea. 
how come God made them wander for 40 years? Like, wouldn't you have been, like, God, you really, you did something cool, and now it's been a long time. You know what the point was? The point was, I think the people who are walking through the sea, they thought that God was there for them. They thought that everything was about progress. We got to get through this sea. We got to get to the promised land. And God said, you don't get it. Moses talked to Pharaoh and said, I need to go because we want to be in God's presence and worship him. We can't do it in Egypt. It smells too weird. We got to get out of here. We got to go away from Egypt and praise God. And so what happened to the Israelites, what I'm scared happens to so many of us, we make it more about the progress of just getting through the next thing than the point we're doing that thing, which is his presence, which is why God said, I will still show you my presence. And to make sure you don't follow me just because of progress, you're going to wander for 40 years. But that 40 years should have been enough for you in the wilderness. Why? Because even in the wilderness, God gave manna. Even in the wilderness, there was a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. God's presence was there, and that is what should have satisfied them, not the promised land. How many of us, when we're reading our word, trying to think out what is God doing in my life, we've got it wrong. When we're saying, God, I'm not progressing enough. I know, he says, because you need to realize that my presence is better than progress. This is the next point. We have to realize this as a church. Our church, at its essence, must be built on God's presence. Everything we do. I love Moses later. God says, go ahead, kill him. Good luck. And Moses says what? No, God, if you're not with us, if you're not going to be with us, we're not going. Moses figured it out. And we as a people of God, you say, God, we will go. We will. God's giving us a new building opportunity. We will go in this building. But if you're not there, we're going to stay here. We're going to go wherever you are. That's where we know where we need to be. I love that. Your life, not just our church, your life at its essence must be built on God's presence. He says, do not fear. Why? For I am with you. Do not fear because I'm going to get you through the water. No, no, no. Do not fear. Why? Because I am with you. Something that happens constantly, every time you say, okay, I'm going to have faith, fear is always knocking, right? Anytime you want God to move in your life and bring renewal, you're inviting the enemy to really say, you're inviting God into your life, but when that happens, the enemy is saying, no, I'm going to do whatever I can to make sure you don't go into God's presence because God's presence is the most important thing. I'll say it. There's a really good book I'm reading right now. It's called Letters of a Modern Mystic. He was in the early 1900s, so not too modern to us, but still modern. Moving on. And he, he figures out, he decides, he's going to spend every minute of every day, he remembers God. He needed an iPhone back then, but he didn't. Like, I would just set a reminder, like, oh, yo, yeah, oh, yeah, God, you're there. And then move on. But, so he had this journal, and it's beautiful. He says this later in this journal. He goes, I know I'm, I'm trying to get all this stuff done, and all this is exciting or whatever, but I'm realizing what's more important is just recognizing God's presence every minute of every day. Because he said this, all this other stuff is so temporal. But what is the one thing we're going to do for eternity? Spending time in God's presence. Why not do it now? It's such a good book. Read it. But what we have to see is that is our job, to be in His presence. And when we are in His presence, that is what gives us an ability to say, I will not fear. Not because we're making enough progress, not because we're strong enough, but because when we are with God, He is strong for us. Mark Sayers 
He said this quote, it's up on the screen. I think it's really helpful. As a pastor, I'm really like, I've been asking God a lot lately, God, give me a non-anxious presence. God, give me the ability, no matter what comes, I believe God is calling us to this next season of our church. There's going to be times where I'm going to want to go cry, right? There's going to be some mean people. There's going to be not enough money, this, that. There's going to be times of fear. And I'm like, God, I want to be the man you've called me to be. And this quote couldn't have come at a better time. He said this, despite all of my attempts at discipline, which we're doing a 21-day practice we're about to talk about, so this is helpful for you as well. Despite all my attempts at discipline, perseverance, humility, and courage, I have learned that I cannot be a non-anxious agent of renewal in my own strength. May we turn not to our inner values and vision, nor to the opinion of others, but rather to the presence of God who wishes to fill and inhabit us for us to partner with him as he floods the world with his presence. Like, I don't want to fear. And what's so nice is my job is to be with him. And the rest will take care of itself. I love that. So I'm like, God, bring somebody today. Make it where I do. You know, I've been with you today. Bring on the fear. You know, no, I'm not that stupid. But uh, that's kind of how excited I've been about this. See, as a congregation, we have to ask ourselves, God, would you give us that ability to not live in fear? And here's the reality. Here's the problem we have in Isaiah. And this is the problem we have for us. The problem, God is still frustrated, though. If you read the next verse, verse 8, he says, but you're too deaf to hear this. You're too blind to see what I want to do. So this is the question that we'll end with. How can we as a congregation at Passion Creek Church, how can we make sure that when the presence of God comes, we're not too blind to see it? To not see it, you know, whatever. You know, when the presence of God comes, we're not too deaf that we can still hear when God gives us a word on the bike ride, right? How can we do that? Well, I'm glad you asked. That's point number three or four, whatever one we're on. It's the last one. The purpose of our practice is not for our progress, but always for God's presence. I'm going to explain that a little bit. Why were the Israelites deaf? Why were the Israelites mute? You have to realize about Israel, they, all, they had access to the presence of God, but they didn't pour, put forth the effort to see it. They, they didn't go to the temple. They didn't go to the presence of God. They had it. Why would they need to search for it? They had it. And God is saying, I want to do so much more, but you're deaf. You're not accessing the presence of God. And so what we're doing these next 21 days, it starts today, and you're welcome, this first one's easy, is 21-day practice, meaning there are different practices that Jesus did while he lived here on earth. Among them are fasting, Sabbath, Bible reading, prayer, all sorts of things. We're asking you to commit to these practices. Today, day one, guess what it is? Sabbath. You know what your job is today? To stop working. Amen, brother. Say no more, right? Stop wanting, meaning stop coveting after things, and stop worrying. I know maybe you have a lot of stuff to go through this week, and a lot of things you're stressed about. You just say, God, I'm not worried about it today. I'm giving it up to you, and I'm going to enjoy your presence. Today's Sabbath. It's such a good day. Aren't you happy? Today's Sabbath. Tomorrow will be secrecy. What is secrecy? I can't tell you. I'm <laughs> just going to put it. All right, anybody? I don't need, I planned that. Okay, so secrecy, I'm so excited about it, and y'all can't ever tell me or else that's, you've lost the point of it. But secrecy is you're blessing somebody without them knowing it was you. So it's like going to dinner and being like, we're going to pay for that family, but don't tell them. Why? Because God, you don't know how many times people, like God loves to show up in those moments because they, they don't want to, God wants to do something in people's life 
And he, he doesn't want you to take the credit because he's going to take the credit. He's going to do something powerful in that person's life. It's going to be so good. The next, we're going to do fasting. We're going to do worship. There's going to be feasting. My favorite. Right? We're just going to hang out and eat a bunch, right? These are practices we're calling all of us to do. The way to follow along is passioncreek.com or passioncreek.church slash 21, or just follow us on Instagram and Facebook. I'll upload every morning at 530 a.m. what the practice for that day is. We're asking us as a community to do these practices. Why? Some of us will want to do these because we want to become better people. That's not the objective. Will that happen? Probably. But there's something much more that we want. More than us getting progress and being better. More than that, we just want God. We want to see Him. We want to hear Him. We want to be in His presence. And that's going to look different for all of us. I blame Caleb and Jordan for this. Um, I really wanted to do different levels to this. So I want to do like plan A is just do what these different practices per day. Plan B, even though plan B sounds bad. So maybe that's why I didn't pitch it well enough. But plan B was like, okay, you can do all these practices plus praying and reading every day. And then the third option is fasting every day. So something for me, I'm going to do. So we're just asking, we're not keeping you accountable. I mean, do whatever you want. We're giving this as an invitation for you to join us. But something I'm going to be doing is obviously doing the practice for each day, reading my Bible, praying each day, but then also fasting, except on Sabbath. We're going to party today at lunch. Amen. Like, I want to eat lunch with y'all. But the rest of this week, my plan is not to eat until dinner every single night. Why? I, more than food, I want to see God. I want to see God move in my life. I want to see God move in your life. And so more than all these things, I'm trying to get rid of clutter. You know, the, you know, the, 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 I keep doing this. Another dumb thing I'm doing, I'm not going to watch any YouTube, any social media, any TV these next 21 days. So y'all need to update me what Twitter's about, like all this new stuff, because I ain't going to be looking, Right? Why? Because I realize that God loves to show up in the boredom. God loves to show up in the, in the silence. And I'm, a, I'm ashamed to say I don't have a lot of silent moments for God to even speak to me. I am deaf to Him because I am hearing all this stuff down here. That's what I'm doing. You do whatever you want. You do you, boo. You know what I'm saying? You do what you want. But I say these things to encourage you. Here's the, here, here's what we have to see. This is a J. Oswald Chambers. Anybody Oswald Chamber fan, Devo, here's a quote, put it up there. It says this, both scripture and experience teach that it is we, not God, who determine the degree of intimacy with him that we enjoy. We are at this moment as close to God as we really choose to be. How do I know that's true? James 4, 8, draw near to God and what? He will draw near to you. How do we access the presence of God? Through these practices. It's not some magic potion, but it is saying, God, I'm putting not only my mind, but my body, my spirit, everything. I am limiting these things because I need to make space so that I can see your face. It just happens, okay? I want to be in your presence more than anything. And so I would ask you, in application for this message today, two things. One, ask that God would do something new in your life and through your life. Two, that you say, okay, God, the way I'm going to seek your face is to commit to these practices. To commit to saying, God, I'm going to do these. Do it however you like. You know what? Maybe for you, it's like, I'm just going to pray and read my Bible every day. That's fantastic. Another word of encouragement, there's 21 days. So we're asking you maybe read 21 chapters. So the book of John, guess how many chapters it has? 30. I'm just kidding. It's 21 again. I did it again. 
Guess how many chapters Judges has? 21. So you can read an Old Testament and a New Testament or just the Old or just the New or whatever. Just say, okay, God, I need to be with you. I need to be in prayer. Just change your life around for these next 21 days and see if God will do something new in and through you. But he can't do it if we're still deaf. He can't do it unless, you know, if we're still blind. And the way to remove the blinders and take the stones out of our ears. That's the language we see in the Old Testament about our ears. He's like, there are stones in there. I've got to chisel them out. To do that is by putting forth these practices and saying, God, I'm removing every obstacle because I'm, ch- I'm tired of chasing something new that's not about you. I'm tired of believing the lie that something new lies within me. I need you. And the reason we call this revival is because naturally this doesn't sound great. But my prayer is right now, your appetite would be increasing for his presence. That despite your flesh saying progress is the way to go, your heart and your spirit and your mind and eventually your body will say, oh, what's more important, God, is your presence. I want it more than anything. And that's my prayer for every single one of us. Let's pray. Father God, we want your presence. We can't do it without your presence. God, I pray that we'd be like Moses. We don't want to do it without your presence. God, for so many of us, this is day one of ever actually trying to do any of these sorts of practices. And so I pray that they would use these 21 days as just an opportunity to see your grace. God, it'll be amazing if, if a few people finish all 21. But God, the point is that we're training, we're, we're starting God, I pray that we would put forth these practices and just start looking for your presence. God, renew our hearts to where we crave you. God, we cannot do this on our own. A man-made effort cannot achieve what only you can achieve. And so, God, I love that our anthem for this next season of our church is that, God, you'll do something new in and through us. Nothing else can And honestly, nothing else, we don't want anything else to. God, I pray that people will come to believe in you for the first time over these next few weeks. May that be the something new in them. God, I pray that people who've been cynical about these practices that we've been talking about for the past year, may they open up their heart and may something new for them be that they're going to try these things and they're going to see the beauty that comes from it. Maybe for some people, the something new is they're going to let go of their legalistic ways. It's not about them becoming this better person, but they're going to really see how, God, you are the reason and purpose we're here, that everything is about you. May that be the thing that's something new. May this something new maybe be a suffering that we're dealing with and we're trying to fix it on our own. May we say, God, we need you to take care of this. Either give us the strength to endure or take, get rid of it completely. God, bring a miracle. God, I pray these next few weeks, a miracle would happen within the life of our church. God made these something new. I love, God, I love that you call it something because we don't know what it is. That's up to you, God. But our job is to be in your presence. And may we be blown away. May you go above and beyond our expectations and see that, God, you're going to deliver something we didn't even know we needed. God, renovate our hearts renew our hearts it's where we actually just want to be with you in Jesus name I pray everybody says Amen. amen